Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Yeah, welcome, uh, welcome to Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Aaron Cameron, and uh, with my uh, co-host, Adam Pawatic. Yeah, that's me. And uh, this, uh, this first episode, I think we're going to just talk about what we've got planned for the podcast and what we want to do. I imagine this will be a little shorter than most, but at least it introduces the podcast and us to anybody that cares to listen. So the idea here is to to have an open discussion regularly uh, every other week about commercial real estate in Canada, uh, the issues that are impacting the the market, the industry, uh, and any other kind of topics that we find interesting that we want to that we want to discuss. Every week we will, every other week, every podcast we will have a guest on uh, that has some sort of expertise, whether that's in you know commercial real estate research or their industrial appraisal or uh, they work for a developer or you know whatever the topic may be. And so we'll we'll start off every show uh, introducing uh, what the topic of that week will be. Then we're going to go into some quick sort of highlights of the news of what's going on in the industry and the market, just sort of a an update to 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 the what's happening, and then you know in, bring our guests in and have a conversation with our guests about whatever the topic of that week is is we can't be experts in everything so we're gonna we try uh, but we're not <laughs> i might advertise myself as such but i'm, I'm definitely not a, a expert in every single facet of real estate in every market across the country you know canada is not a big country but it's definitely tell me about broad. retail in nunavut adam <laughs> well i am an expert of course and i uh, yeah yeah we'll what's the average guest? rent per square foot for an a-class asset in downtown equala I, I could I could just throw it out there. This, this actually reminds me of the uh, the first time I ever attended a meeting in my in my career in commercial real estate. I'd been on the phones making cold calls for about two weeks, and I booked my first meeting. Very excited, ran up there on my own, and I sit down. and The gentleman looking across me at the table says, "So, what's the average lease rate in the area? I want to know and make sure I'm pacing, I'm paying the average lease rate." And I had no idea. This is an industrial building in uh, in uh, North Toronto. I didn't know if it was $2 per square foot or $200 per square foot. So I had a brief moment where I had my eyes frozen in fear. I'm sure you can smell it on me. Then I said, well, what do you, what do you pay here? And he says, $5. I go, yep, that's average. <laughs> well done. Yeah, Good yeah. answer. So I got out of that one. Yeah. But, uh, did you get a? Did you end up doing a doing a loan with the guy? No, not even close. <laughs> no, no, he he he, uh, he, uh, he did it himself. So yeah, maybe maybe that'll helpful if we give us some background. Both Adam and I work uh, work as lenders in the in the real estate industry. Uh, we work for a company called First National. We're not going to hide that. Although this is the, not the purpose of this show. Uh, it just so happens that we work at a, at a lender. But you will sense from time to time that our perspective is geared uh, from the lender's perspective. So don't be surprised. If if our, our personal conversations are are discussing loans and and the different types of financing uh, financing issues that we see on a day to day basis, but everybody finance, finance, finds financing very interesting. So I'm oh, yeah, sure this is appreciated. real fast. Yeah, for that reason alone, we're going to steer clear <laughs> yeah. of it as much as possible. That's why we bring guests in because we're not nearly yeah. interesting enough as lenders to yeah. host a podcast. Hear all hear all our inside jokes. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> Did you hear the one about the cap rate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's just not even a funny joke. Um, okay, so you know who we are. You know what we're planning on covering. We're going to do a quick sort of update of some news topics. And then we're going to just give you a quick, uh, you know, just to get to know us a little bit better, talk about 
uh, the best and worst days we've had in, in our real estate careers. Yeah, I mean, ideally, the best and worst days is something we're going to use with our guests just to get a you know, better sense of who they are as people rather than just a, a stream of data being thrown at you over, uh, over your, your headset. For those of you who haven't been able to tell yet, this is a non-scripted podcast. So uh, the whole point is, is to be a bit off the top of our heads. So don't be surprised if we ramble a little bit too much or sound like we don't know what we're talking about because often that's true. Yeah, it would be definitely. So every every you know two weeks we're going to cover you know major major news articles or anything that uh, we think would be interesting to our listeners. So Aaron and I have each picked a, a topic today to to discuss. Uh, the article I've got is it's it surprised me. I don't know if it surprises everybody out there. You know, again, I'm not I'm not an expert in the Saskatchewan market, but there's an article that just came out that office vacancy rates in Saskatchewan are expected to reach a 17-year high in the range of 18 to 20 percent. I know this is, that in, sorry, in Saskatchewan? Saskatchewan, yeah. yeah. Obviously, Calgary's been getting a lot of, a lot of uh, headlines recently for those kinds of vacancy rates. And the, the storyline that I was reading about Saskatchewan all along is it would not be impacted the way Alberta was. It wouldn't have the same effect, yet you're seeing office vacancies virtually, virtually in the same uh, same space, you know, eighteen to twenty percent, which is you know essentially a disaster for most uh, for most buildings. Um, I give perspective. In two thousand twelve, vacancy rates were at two point six nine percent. In two thousand twelve is not that long ago. This is a it's a big movement. You know, I mean, the, a couple of things to consider about that market is it is it is quite small. You know, downtown's two point four million square feet, and this is you know three hundred nine thousand square feet vacant, meaning one big tenant could drastically mm-hmm. impact impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, those numbers, but it is, it's, it's uh, it kind of flies in the face of the story that's been coming out for the last, you know, a couple of months as oil's plunged and resources have plunged that it, they would not be impacted the same way. And it, you know, it definitely has. So, I mean, this was courtesy of a study done by ICR and is also echoed, echoed by Collier's. They've, they've kind of released their own uh, fourth quarter. Report. I guess it makes sense, right? I mean, Alberta, you know, being the much larger economy is overshadowed, you know, the story in Saskatchewan, I'm sure, to a certain degree, at least in the sort of popular media. But if you think about the Saskatchewan economy, it it, it is likely less service-oriented than in Ontario or Quebec and much more sort of commodity-based and, and oil and gas obviously has some impact on that. Mm-hmm. Does the study get into, you know, the, the economics, the macroeconomics that are sort of forcing the office vacancy? Yeah, I mean, it's just the, the same things that's forcing Alberta. Resources are down and companies are leaving expensive downtown space. So bear in mind, these numbers are strictly for downtown office space. So it's not that these buildings have shuttered their business and got in the unemployment line. They might have moved to the suburbs. Or they might now downsize their office space and not let um, employees go. So it's not a true reflection of their economy. It's just uh, that obviously... You know, end users of real estate there focusing on diminishing their, their that cost. Probably, probably, and I, I'm spitballing a little bit here, but but it it, it I, I suspect anyway that Saskatchewan is not the biggest attractive head office location, and that likely the head offices are either in a Calgary or Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal, and that the Saskatchewan offices are typically the satellite offices. So, if you are commodity based, oil and gas based, you're looking to to trim trim expenses. You know, some of the some of the ways to do that are to shut down some of the satellite offices and, and reallocate your human resources or your 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 human capital back to sort of you know, the main hub, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, necessarily these places are, the businesses are shutting down, but they're, 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 they're closing down the satellite offices and, and refocusing their energies and, and you know, their main office space. 
Yeah, and the article is, is somewhat addressed that, that the few large tenants in the market are unlikely to go anywhere for that exact reason that um, it's much easier to shut down. Yeah, the satellite offices, offices. yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. And one other thing to consider with this market is there is no new construction. So there's not going to, or very little new construction. So there's not... There's not a couple million square feet coming on versus Calgary. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's 3.9 million square feet of new space or something coming on in the next four years. Like that's just absurd. Yeah. We, we hear stories all the time about um, subleases in Calgary's office space. So you get you know you're looking at you're looking at the tenant profile of a building and you see you know it's X Y Z company and they've been there for nine years and they're paying 18 bucks a square foot. What you don't realize is that XYZ company has gone bankrupt and they've subleased the the space to another company for one dollar a square foot, right? And it, it's 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 um, it's a really sketchy market right now in the Calgary office space. Yeah, it's uh, oh, terrifying to be one word. <laughs> yeah, don't 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 buy office in Calgary right now, <laughs> unless you can find something with like a nine cap rate or something like that. Maybe at least, yeah. The, uh, it's actually covered in the article as well, uh, that they're not seeing rental rates falling, but inducements have shot up to prop up those numbers. So it, it's hard to gauge really by the rental rates, you know, what, what the impact is in that market. But, uh, you know, time will tell. You can't offer inducements forever, especially if there's not a lot of tenants in the market. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the piece of news that I've got that I found fascinating was um, the Welsh brothers, the Slate um, Slate Capital, buying up all four corners of the, the intersection of St. Clair and Young. Um, and I've always really liked, I always really liked the Slate Group. They, they always find value in 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 you know in a very competitive marketplace. We've got a thousand um, competitors, very very intelli- intelligent, uh, looking for the same intelligent competitors, looking for the same sort of value adds. Uh, and these guys just seem to find ways every time. And so they've they've now sort of swallowed up the four corners of a Young and St Clair. And if you've ever been to Young and St Clair in Toronto, it's it's a bit north of the of the the downtown core, uh, but certainly is sort of a, a you know a lively area. But it is a bit tired, right? It's not a you wouldn't call that a a, a hub. A Young and Eglinton's a hub. Young and Shepherd's a bit of a hub. You can even say Young and Finch would be would be a, more of a hub than a Young and St Clair. So these guys have bought all four corners, and as part of a revitalization plan, they've got for the intersection. And, you know, think about the value add. This way, you you know that if you control you control all four corners. You can make sure that the entire intersection and the vibe of the entire area is transformed. Which you know, so if you're improving the corner on the northeast corner, including the property in the northeast corner, that that value and the, the rents you can collect on that southwest corner will also be increased because you're just going to want to have you know there are going to be tenants they're going to be attracted to that kind of vibe they're going to be attracted to the 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 being be able to you know attract good employees because it's got a because it's got a great vibe in that intersection so just you know another example of the ways in which uh, companies out there are trying to to induce value out of their out of their investments. Well, it protects you too from ending up in a bidding war with your neighbor trying to get a tenant in your building. Yeah, you got, no, it's uh, great. No, and they, it's all four corners are office space, so they just they, they really they've they've identified that as sort of a tired area, and they probably are right. I mean, I'm, I don't I don't have the numbers specifically in front of me what they paid on a per square foot or on a cap rate basis, but likely, I mean, just knowing that intersection, those are you know sort of a bit older, uh, un- look like anyway from the outside as underperforming assets. So they they they're likely going to do do very well from a sort of return on their investment perspective. 
And for those from not from Toronto, there is a subway station right there and is sandwiched right in between some of the richest neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. In, uh, Which I think is why it was even more of a target for them, right? It, it really is. A, it, you know, compared to some of the other major intersections up that young subway line, it is one of the sort of the older, less attractive, you know, from a from a, what tenants are there. I mean, they certainly, you know, they've got you know, some banks and, you know, Tim Hortons, but it's not the kind of place where your retail would say, I, that, that's where I've got to be. So... Um, I'll, I'll admit I always have a moment when um, I'm going to visit somebody at their office and the address is at Young St. Clair. You kind of pause and think, huh, interesting. Huh. Why are you all <laughs> yeah. the way up there? Yeah. Why not Young and Eglinton, which is yeah. even further. But, you know, at Young and Eglinton, there's a ton of development and it's just kind of – it's got a much more uh, sort of, I don't know, core feeling to it than Young and St. Clair. Well, yeah, Young and Eglinton has its own gravity. It, it draws its own pull. It's full of young professionals, mm-hmm. whereas Young St. Clair doesn't have that, obviously. No, no. Is it, there's a – I could be speaking a term, but I think there's a, f- a fair number of government tenants around there as well. So you don't get the same interaction that, uh, you know, we were in lending and half our clients are within a five block radius of where our office is. And so you run into them at restaurants. And so depending on the, op- the kind of tenants you're trying to attract there, you're not going to have the same you know, symbiotic relationship of being located yeah. near each yeah. other. Interesting. Um, so then, I, uh, you got anything else to add to that? No, it's that was actually news to me. Great story, though. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. We'll we'll, if we'll keep a tabs on that. Maybe revisit in a, in a couple of months if we we hear what what they're going to do, what their plans are with some of that some of the more tired buildings that they've that they've just recently purchased. Yeah, no, that, that uh, should be fun to watch. And then best and worst. So I'll be honest, my career is not nearly as interesting as Adam. So maybe I'll go first, and then the climax of this podcast or, or of our first podcast will be Adam's story. Yeah, he's fist pumping. Um, you know, I, I've spent my entire career at First National. I know it's kind of boring eight years here, and I've kind of worked my way up, started as an administrator and then, you know, worked as an analyst, and now I'm working, uh, you know, running some of the operations at the company. So when I start, you know, when I think of the most exciting day of my life in, in real estate, it's, it probably is a whole whack load of, of you know, crazy fundings and trying to um, trying to coordinate, keep borrowers happy. You've been yelled at a whole bunch of times, but maybe those fall on the worst days. But, um, you know, unfortunately, the answer to my to my best and worst is pretty mundane. I've spent my entire career here, so don't have a – or maybe it's that I'm, I'm so disenfranchised that, that it just all molds into one big – one big experience working here. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But, but nevertheless, Adam's story is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more interesting. So just a quick background on the interesting career that Aaron alluded to. I've been a lender here for closing in on four years. Prior to that, I worked in brokerage. And before that, I syndicated a few deals out in British Columbia when I knew next to nothing about real estate. At the time, I thought I knew at least something because you know, my family all worked in real estate. And so I felt I'd kind of absorb some of that knowledge. Looking back, I knew absolutely nothing. But I was presented with the opportunity to buy two pieces of land. One land ended up being my best day in real estate. The second piece of land ended up being my worst and continues to be the worst till this very Keyword day. Keyword there is continues yeah. to be. Yeah. Until this very moment, it is causing me pain. So there was two, there's a small town out in uh, BC called Revelstoke. It's a ski town with a large development. And so they started selling pieces of land near the base of the mountain before the resort was about to open. I thought it was a good opportunity to jump on some land. So I organized a bunch of friends. We all pooled some money and got two pieces of land under contract. They were about $160,000 a piece, you know, maybe a third of an acre. You build a home, now you've got a ski chalet. We, of course, didn't have the money to proceed beyond just that first step. During the closing period, we got an offer on one of the pieces of land 
for $100,000 more than we paid on it. And bear in mind, we paid 160, so that's an astronomical jump up in value. So that was a quick, easy sale. I was beyond excited. I was a student at the time, so the money, you know, the money's virtually life-changing, although it's all gone now. (laughs) But at the time, I thought, this is, real estate is so easy. If I just do three or four of these a year, I've got a a living, you know, as long as I can continually find land that experiences massive jumps in value in a very short period of time. Yeah, it goes up 75%. Just a couple of, you know, just few home runs a year. How hard uh, can it be to find land that increases in value 75%? Month over month, yeah, yeah and, never, and never have any failures, and uh, that, that's it. This, I guess, now I see how my uh, you know my family made money in real estate. It's so easy to show. <laughs> I thought up. my family was smart. Turns yeah, out, yeah. yeah, they're just in the right place. So that was a that was a home run. I remember the day that closed, and I saw you know the bank account uh, jump up the, the the money. It was it was very exciting. So that was my best day. The second piece of land fell. I fell victim to greed. I thought, well, hey. Now this, at this point, this land was worth as much as the other one. It had gone up 75% in value. We could have easily sold it as buyers of the market. And I thought, hey, no, let's, let's hold on. Let's, you know, let the, let let's let jump ride. another 75% yeah, value yeah. next month. And I would hate to leave money on the table if I just waited a little longer. And this, of course, was right before this, was, this conversation was taking place right before the crash in 2008. So uh, when the credit markets dried up and when everybody got afraid for their livelihood, the market for very small pieces of land in ski areas to build third home ski chalets didn't just slow down. It disappeared overnight. There was no chance for me to regret my decision to hold on and say, well, hey, maybe I'll fire sale it now at cost. Maybe I'll just, or maybe I'll try and make a small profit. It was just gone. Every single buyer was gone and that was it. When I'd originally bought the the land, I'd, you know, signed off on, you know, loan terms that didn't matter to me because I thought, hey, I'm only going to own this for six months. You know, no big deal. I'll pay whatever interest rate I possibly can and just get, get this thing done. So I realized uh, in conversation with my dad, this, this is the, the defining worst moment, although the pain's been spread out over many years. The defining worst moment when I was talking to my dad, I said, what do I do now? And he goes, nothing. There, there is nothing to do. <laughs> you just sit on the land and you pay the, uh, the real estate tax every year. And you watch it devalue every year. <laughs> and so there's a few, a few moments of realization. That conversation was the lowest point. Uh, since then, I've now realized that land is really left. Land plays are best left to people that have deep pockets. Land doesn't generate any income. There's nothing there. I just sit and hold it and I pay my property tax and I pay my interest every month. I still own it to this day. I would you know, happily sell it if I could just get out clean on what I paid, forget the, uh, the interest costs. But it's funny because it's, it was two great lessons and it's, not even that you can say, well, that was a different deal. These are literally identical plots of land right beside each other in the same market. And greed got me in the situation I'm in now. And it's uh, just market conditions. You know, it's a real, a real lesson in timing. Timing is everything, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because yeah, they're identical. And it's not very often that you end up in real estate with identical comps or identical experiences. Interesting way to start your career. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it was rough. Yeah, uh, learn, learn the perils early, I think, is the... Yeah. yeah. Better do that now than get yourself into a loan that defaults and you know, you, you end up figuring out later in your career that it can be a very risky business. Yeah, yeah. Or if I'd bought, uh, you know, 100 acres somewhere. To, <laughs> yeah. This was, this was uh, like maybe total, uh, a little over half an acre. Have you, are you marketing it now? Like, what's the, are you just, you're not really, you just, you're keeping an eye on the market, but it's, no. it hasn't rebounded yet? There's been a few sales here and there. So the, it looks like there is, a, you know, an upturn in that market. It looks like uh, it is kind of turning around. But 
prices haven't been impacted heavily yet, and there's so few transactions, it's hard to tell. Do you want to say but, where it is? Do you have where is it? Yeah, it's in, it's in Revelstoke. I said it okay. earlier. It's uh, oh, just, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. just uh, so anybody, if you want to own a plot of land in Revelstoke, yeah, please yeah, call. You can go to our website yeah. com. Now that yeah. I've admitted that, uh, you know, I'll pull down my pants for, for <laughs> yeah, a deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got no position. You're an eager, eager vendor here, yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah, so if you're looking for a ski chalet site, I am your man. All right, well, with that, yeah. um, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be, we are on every, every Tuesday evening, every other Tuesday evening. Um, our guest next week is... Um, two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. I let, it was Adam's acquaintance, so Adam can introduce him. Yeah, it's actually one of my uh, one of my oldest friends in real estate. It's Chad Weatherall from Urbicon is going to talk about all the spec build going on. So I'm looking forward to that. Great. Uh, again, thanks for listening, and we'll um, talk to you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to the CRE Podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.